0: Hi, I'm Lauren McLean, and welcome to Mentoring Nature Connections. I'd like to start by taking a moment to acknowledge the unceded and traditional territories we each find ourselves on today. For me, I live on Heritage Mountain in Port Moody, British Columbia. To the east of me is the Golden Ears Provincial Park, and when I look to the west, I see the Burrard Inlet, which feeds into the Pacific Ocean. This is the land of the Quequitlam First Nations. Today's episode is all about the evolution of confidence in learners when they explore outdoors. Logan Enns and Aura Garzam are both here with us via Zoom. They are the founders of the Collective, which is an outdoor program that provides children with opportunities for discovery and exploration. Above all else, they believe in the magical power of the outdoors. It's so easy to get caught up with needing rigid schedules, programming, and academics for our children, and there's often a myth out there on how nature is unable to offer the skills that they need. So Logan and Aura are here to show us the power and magic of playing and learning outdoors. So let's get to know these two ladies a bit better. Aura is co-owner of the Collective, mother, wife, friend, and the most brilliant early learning facilitator you've ever met. She was born and raised in Columbia and moved to Canada as an adult to learn English. She remembers childhood at her grandma's farm, exploring natural elements, mountains, animals, and the smell of soil. These memories have been influential in her journey as an educator and a parent. Forests, farms, nature parks, beaches and gardens are areas she feels that magical learning happens. So she is stoked to provide families with the collective brand and excited to continue co-learning, growing and experiencing life alongside her children. Hi Aura, how are you? Hi Lauren, I'm good, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much. All right, now let's meet Logan. She is also the co-owner of Collective, mother of humans and dogs, wife, pal, and creative. Logan's unique educational experience, homeschooled for most of her school years, ignited a passion for non-traditional approaches to education. She couldn't think inside the box if she tried, and this has benefited her greatly in her work with children. Throughout her 10 plus years as an educator, she has challenged norms, pushed through boundaries, and has always believed children are capable of so much more than what the world gives them credit for. She is overflowing with ideas. It's terrifying. And thinks the sky is the limit when it comes to all of the ways Collective can give back. Hi, Logan, how are you? I'm so great. (laughs) Excellent. I'm really excited to talk to the both of you. So let's begin by talking about what you notice When learners first begin their program, I'd really like to know more about how you encourage and promote confidence and independence.
1: Um, I think the biggest thing we notice is just sort of an overall general tentativeness to enter into these um, unstructured spaces. So I think children are so used to associating outside with playgrounds, with structures, with Um, just a schedule programming. And when they come to our program, there is this idea of like, if your body can do it, you can do it. And so they have to really start to trust themselves. And when they first start, they typically don't. (laughs) So, or I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but. I
2: think that it is the way how we provide them with the opportunity to uh, test their bodies and um, also is a safe environment for them to feel all the feelings to try new experiences and um, we are always really keen on following the child's each individual child's pace when exploring and I think they feed on that and we started with a group of like maybe four children but it's like a culture that was created from the beginning and now when a child starts they just like immerse themselves in this safe space. And it doesn't matter if it's the first time in care or it's just a recreational um, activity that they're doing. It's just like a safe space for them where they can explore.
0: Right. And I love how you mentioned that we're not shying away from their different emotions that they can experience. So when a learner first enters your program and is maybe feeling nervous to try something, what are some ways that you're engaging with them?
2: We are present. We are there. So sometimes it takes 10 minutes to warm up. Sometimes it takes three days. And sometimes it takes for a child to sit on my lap asking about, about, talking about his family, uh, looking at the animals around and as reminding him or her the, the steps of like, first we're going to play, then we're gonna go back to where we uh, get picked up and then we're gonna see mommy and daddy. So like just ensuring that parents or adults always come back and you are in a safe area And just take your time to embrace it. Just being present with them all the moments.
1: I think um, something that I know I am just so proud of with our program and our philosophy, um, when we are supporting families and children starting our program who may be a bit hesitant or or have feelings about starting, whatever those feelings are, um, it is an absolute guarantee that we are going to be essentially hand holding you throughout this entire process and unlike any other programs I've been to um we are just so passionate about getting children and families through this um this process as safely as possible and I think that's just the biggest the uh what am I trying to say the, just the most important aspect for us to communicate is that no one is going to do well if the child is not feeling safe, if the parent is not feeling safe, if the educators aren't feeling safe. So for us, it is such a um, it's just such an important part of our program is to literally, like Aura said, sit with the child who is feeling emotions, and that might be five minutes, that might be half an hour, but you can be guaranteed that no one is being abandoned, and no one is being coaxed to sort of shake it off and move on. Let's just go play or distract it away from feelings. And I think our program really reflects that when you see the children who are comfortable in our program and just the the arc that they've made from start to say several days in where they're just, I feel like they just feel so safe so quickly because of how we integrate them into our program.
0: Beautiful. And I can imagine that if my two and a half year old were in your program, someone who is still quite nervous about touching Mm. sticky things and not wanting to get dirty, (laughs) which I'm, I'm surprised because that's not something that we (laughs) would ever put onto them because we're always getting dirty with them. So it, but I imagine that if he was immersed in your program or something similar to your program, I imagine that would develop over weeks possibly. It's,
1: it's interesting the, the example of the dirty hands, because I can think of a number of children immediately in our program where it's like this beginning of like, oh, do you have a tissue? Because I got dirt on my hands. And you're like, welcome to nature school, child. Um, and yeah, it, it is a very quick tip over to like, okay, this is where we do this. Um, right. So yeah, that's a great example of sort of a, a bit of a hurdle some of them have to go over. And you yeah. have seen these type of children uh, as
2: Logan say like they start like oh, I don't want to get dirty or I need a tissue and then I don't know a couple of weeks after they are literally rolling in the mud <laughs> like head to toe it's like okay, it's another child. It's amazing. <laughs>
0: That is amazing. And again, I think that speaks to the safety that they're feeling with you and now with their environment. So maybe it's the repetition of being in that space. Maybe it's that their peers are all engaged in similar activities. Um, Are there any other sort of common challenges or fears that you're finding uh, that your learners have?
1: Um, I can speak immediately to this, because this always comes to mind is um, body confidence and ability to trust their bodies. So when we think of, of structures for children, we think of, oh, this is rated for children five and under, this one's rated for children five and up. So we don't let children do this, because that's not safe. um, Where our policy is very much if your body can do it, you can do it. If you feel safe, keep going. And we are here to verbally assist you, but we will not lift you off of structures. We will not place you up high where you now cannot get down. Um, And that is unbelievable to witness when you see children starting who are like, I need help going up this route. And you're like, I fully I support you and like let's troubleshoot it let's problem solve and they slowly make their way over the root and then next time it's a log and then you start to see children scaling trees and it happens so fast but they've not been given that opportunity to push themselves and to sort of see what they can do and so that is one of the coolest things about outdoor school and of course our program.
2: Um, I was just gonna make the to compare like yeah like the playgrounds and the forest because it is like I personally feel sometimes nervous in the playground because usually children want to challenge themselves and then the structures are not safe but then in the forest it's just so rich and there is like so many ways to explore it and so so yeah it's just amazing to have that opportunity and it's like like magic.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I think I think it all comes back to magic. And I know when I took a group of learners to the forest for the first time, as we all do over planned what I wanted to explore, and didn't realize that they needed a good half an hour to learn how to walk in this in their first forest, we had our school, we had our grass field, we had at least a dozen trees on that school grounds we had garden plots but it wasn't the forest floor so knowing how soft and spongy and unpredictable the surface could be um, you know we had to really scrap a lot of our plans and just learn your body and how to be safe while walking
1: yes that is that's like one of our taglines I feel collective where we scrap plans constantly <laughs> yes, <ultimately. laughs> we will always have such big ideas and we go and then it's like well they found a puddle so we'll know. be here for three hours <laughs> yeah exactly
0: well and then that leads me to uh A question that I'm sure we're all wondering is how does the flow of your program then look? I know you guys have an idea of what you want to explore and do and so the flow of your day or how you look work with uh, the passions of the learners in your group.
1: So we definitely have a, um, like a bare bones structure to the flow of our day, just because I feel like that's a pretty natural thing to occur in any program, just to have some sort of structure. (laughs) So we do a very open-ended drop-off, we have snack, there's play, and then it's sort of open-ended adventure time. So adventure time happens for a couple hours, and then we walk back and get picked up within the adventure time that is where we like to think we plan things and then it gets kiboshed more often than not because children are they're the best planners and if we follow their lead it's usually the best day (laughs) but within that we also we play this balance of like we want to provide inquiry and provocation for children to sort of be be pushed and sort of um, learn about things that they might not know about at the same time we want to be very careful with like you mentioned over sort of over planning and over programming where it's not needed Um, and so I think we do a pretty great job in finding that balance and we have some books that we use that are incredible and we really work hard to use the forest and all of its sort of natural awesomeness and, and magic really to create our programming where currently we are into fairies and dragons and all of these things in the woods that the forest provides us all of the clue, quote unquote clues, um, that prove that these things live there. And we've been making houses and protecting dragon eggs and it's just so limitless. We're going to be busy for years. So <laughs> it's, it's awesome.
2: Yeah, I, we don't have, um, I mean, like, yeah, the flow of the day, uh, I was just going to add that it creates this predictability for children. And especially the ones that are, like, new in this type of pro- programs. It gives them this sense of security of, like, this is so amazing. And also my adult is coming back. After Mm -hmm. adventure time. So that's why we are like, we are always reminding them the five steps of the day and they have it ingrained in their heads and they they feel safe, like, okay, this is the time where we explore. And as Logan was saying, the forest is magic. So we just find clues, we have books to support our inquiries, uh, we provide open ended materials to create. And without leaving like that much trace behind. And yeah, the rest is adventure.
0: That's so exciting. And you both mentioned having books to support your inquiry. So are those children's books? Are those field guides, teacher resources?
1: We have the
0: Bible
1: of outdoor education. (laughs) And it's called Wild Things. Um, you can buy it at Chapters. It's written by these ladies, I believe, in the UK, um, and it it was brought to our program by one of our students. And as soon as we saw it, we were like, "Oh my gosh!" Like it is a it's basically an encyclopedia of magical creatures that you can find in the woods, and it and it utilizes natural um, natural materials and natural situations that occur, such as frost, which is sort of a snow fairy clue or dust. Like it is, I cannot talk about it enough. We have told so many parents about it. Um, and so we highly, highly recommend that. The,
2: and also it is very inclusive. So it's not just for the forest, but it can be used for in your backyard, in your balcony. The yeah. playground uh, is just to encourage Parents to take the children outside and or like, or adults and find magic everywhere.
0: Now that we've sort of got this idea of uh, books to use and sort of how your day works, I always have to ask people that work outdoors do you ever get your learners say, I'm bored?
1: Never. I have not <laughs> at outdoor school ever experienced that. My own children in my house, <laughs> yes um but no and aura i don't know if you've had no, that i
2: no. have
1: seen children staring at the nothing
2: <laughs> thinking, and then creating that's what i've seen of like i see like boredom of right. like i'm not doing anything right now but i'm looking i have open-ended materials yeah okay now i'm gonna make tea for the fairies or something
1: i think Two, it kind of speaks to the educators in your program where with Aura talking about like, oh, you can see some children kind of having that moment of like, okay, I've done this task. Like, what am I going to do next? And it's in that moment that as an educator, that's a great moment to step in and be like, I see that the fairies are needing soup or whatever. Um, And I, I think that we're pretty endless with ideas Um, when it comes to mythical creatures and their needs so the kids are busy a lot of the time
2: also logan and i have this dynamic where like we feed like we observe and we intervene just when needed but we have this um like to like to spark the magic when we see that it's maybe the flame is going low then we're like and then
1: (laughs) It's very exciting. There are a lot lot of sparks.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I can only imagine. And I think as you're both talking about that moment where learners having that pause, that you both mentioned that it's not that we're going in right away, but we're watching and we're observing.
1: Absolutely. They're
0: having that reflective time and we don't need to come to the rescue right away. They need to sit with that themselves to figure it out. And then you give them that little spark if needed and then back they are to being independent and they're ignited again.
1: Absolutely. And um, Lauren, I think one of the biggest um, privileges of owning your own business <laughs> is for us to be able to, to come up with how we feel things should be run and how we feel that we work, that children work, where I can't tell you how many times we will sit in and amongst like 10 busy children and us just being like, should, should we be doing something right now? (laughs) No, we shouldn't. We're doing it. We're sitting, we're being quiet, everyone's safe. And we get to watch these busy people working so hard. And I think as adults and especially as early childhood educators, that's a very hard thing to do. Because we think that play means we're in there and we're doing it and we're participating and we're facilitating where it's, there's always a time and a place for it. But it's so important to just get the heck out and let children create their own play. Like it is it's incredible to watch.
0: It's amazing. So lastly, (laughs) I'd love to ask you about a novelty nature note. So mine today is about hibernation and about snails and how they curl up back into their shell. And they actually end up closing off that opening with skin that's part chalk and part slime. And it's that mixture that keeps them really well insulated from the cold weather. It's so incredible.
1: Um, Something that I looked at because you had this idea and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, what would I, what would I say? And I was thinking about at Central Park, we have two different types of squirrels, typically that we see a gray one and a black one. And I've always thought that the black one was the invasive species. And so I was like, I need to Google this. Um, I did. Thank you, Google. The black and the gray squirrels are the same species. It's just different colors. I know. (laughs) Um, And so- They were brought into sort of BC and a lot of people think they are an invasive species, but they're actually just an urban species that they're working to not have them spread out everywhere, but they do protect them in urban areas. So I learned a new thing today. Oh, wow. That's new. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome for that.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Wow. Okay. Uh, I don't have any like crazy facts. It's just some observation I made that it made me think, like, wow, hibernation. And just before the winter break, I saw this gray squirrel getting really fat, like, really fat. I was like, okay, that's come. Like, we know they eat like all the stuff at the park, but this was was really, really fat. So, like, that was like probably from a country where like we don't see animals like really hibernate. So, I was like, okay, this is the first time that I see. An animal getting ready for the winter. Like, really. this was like, yeah, like a cartoon. <laughs>
0: the cheeks were just exploding. <laughs> and the, and the
2: family, it was
0: just so fat that I was. Oh, those
1: urban squirrels. I tell you. What <laughs> did you,
2: yeah. You're ready for winter.
0: (laughs) That's too funny. Well, Logan and Aura, thank you so much again for your time. And I do highly recommend that everyone follows The Collective on Instagram. And again, the website is thecollective.ca and I will post all their information under the podcast notes. Um, I'll also include some information about their program offerings and other details there as well. Lastly, if you're following me on Twitter at LK McLean or on Instagram at mentoringnatureconnections, you'll actually see lots of examples of how educators are starting to use my first children's book, me and my sit spot in their classrooms. It's such an exciting adventure to be on and I'm just beyond happy to see that the book is actually now in the hands of learners. So please continue to share out your photos and documentation for us all to see. Thank you so much again, ladies. Thank you you so much. Thank you. And until next time, go get your hands dirty and have fun with Mentoring Nature Connections.